Hey everybody, Dr. Wardy here. So we got a really important topic coming to you guys today. Uh, we're excited to bring on Dr. Don Klum. You all may remember him from episode 15 when we talked a little bit about insulin sensitivity and longevity. Dr. Klum is pretty amazing. We talk a lot about kids in this episode. We get into the nitty gritty about why it's important starting your kids off right out of the gates from birth, how this affects their brain health, their immune system, their hormones, uh, how this, how their movement and their musculoskeletal system plays a massive role in their overall health uh, along insulin as well. So you guys really buckle down on this episode. Listen if there are changes that you need to make with your family and your kids. Remember, it starts with you first and your kids will follow. Um, real quick about Dr. Klum. He's a successful healthcare professional, sought-after speaker, business owner, and he's currently a student obtaining his PhD in health psychology. He creates these amazing programs for insulin resistance, and he presents them to very large organizations. Uh, he used to be in corporate wellness, where he wrote programs for hundreds of thousands of people. He's very passionate about his teaching and advanced health strategies in the public, and he helps really lay this stuff out in very understandable terms uh, so that people can apply these things to everyday life. So without further ado, here's episode 29. Please enjoy. Welcome to the Dr. Dad's Podcast, where a naturopath and chiropractor come together each week to share lifestyle medicine, health advice, and inspiring interviews with some of the top experts in health and wellness, bringing you the latest in nutrition, exercise, ancient healing, toxins and detox, your microbiome, mindset, hormones, brain, and much more. Stay tuned. We're going to teach you how to experience growth daily. Hey, everybody. Dr. Dad's coming at you today. This is Dr. Wardy. Dr. Nick, what's happening, brother? Hey, buddy. Another day in paradise. Good to see you again. How's Vancouver these days? It's, it's like monsoon weather. Hey, Don, like you guys are getting probably something similar to us down there. Yeah, definitely a lot of rain going on here, especially <laughs> the last couple of days. It's been pretty significant. Yeah. I actually have gotten some rain down here in the southwest, so I don't believe it's it. nice because it's hot down here. <laughs> so you guys heard it. Dr. Don Klum is back on with us today. You guys probably remember him from episode number 15 where he talked about insulin and longevity. And we have a really good episode today, and we've been looking forward to this since we last talked to Dr. Klum. And we're going to talk about uh, basically healthy eating for kids. Um, we're going to get into uh, a lot of things hormonally, talk about development, how what you feed your kid plays a huge impact on their overall health. But we're going to really get into the nitty-gritty of what that means. And then Don, Don's also going to share some stuff with us about how this translates to athletes and kids that are active and, and all that. So let's get into it, man. Um, so we really just want to focus, I want you to talk a little bit, Don, about why it isn't so important to start early with healthy eating for our kids and really what does healthy eating mean for kids? And then why are we having some of the problems with obesity in this country right now with, with children? Well, that's, that's not an easy question and definitely not an easy answer. It's very, it's very multifaceted. But the reason we got to start early is we, we got to instill, because it especially in kids, once they've gone down the junk food type of uh, road, it's really hard to get them to switch. And so if, if you have a small child, you're raising a child and you keep them eating healthy, keep them eating clean from the beginning, they're less likely to perpetuate the, the, the junk food eating later. I look at my, my 10-year-old, when we go to a party or a barbecue or something, every now and then he'll ask if he can have a soda. We don't drink soda. There's none in our house. He's didn't grow up on it. And so usually I'll say, yeah, you can have one. And he won't even get through half and he doesn't want it. Just, he doesn't have that the propensity to, to, 
to whereas other kids are drinking three or four of those in the party. So that's part of the benefit of, of starting early is getting their tastes to adapt to real food as soon as possible because the synthetic Franken food type of stuff is addictive. It's like a drug. And once they get going, it's really hard to stop. So you start them early, teach them well, and hopefully they'll, they'll perpetuate it. You know, then when they get, then I have my teenager son who's in a senior in high school, you know, you cross your fingers, hope he's uh, perpetuating as well. And, and so on. So that, that, I think that's all you can really do. Well, that's so true, man. The palate plays this massive role. I mean, if you, like you're saying, you screw up the palate early on, they don't have a taste for what real food tastes like, you know, and I see that with a lot of, you know, my kids just starting kindergarten. I was talking about this the other day, you know, I drop them off in the cafeteria in the mornings and all these kids are just slamming sugar in the morning, cinnamon rolls and chocolate milk and cereal and all this stuff. And I'm sure it's just playing out like that the rest of the day. And you give them real food, none of those kids are going to want to eat real food. It's not going to taste like anything to them. Their taste buds are just toxic with sugar and all these preservatives and chemicals and stuff that they're eating, like you're saying, the Franken food. Um, and when we see that problem with a lot with our patients, you know, they come into us, they know there's an issue with their eating with their kids. And you look at them and you're like, man, this is going to be a tough road to get this turned around because you've created a big problem here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a significant issue because it's like any kind of tolerance to any kind of chemical or drug or alcohol. They start getting it, they need more and more, and, and then just, you know, just like an alcoholic who, who needs to drink a 12-pack to get to where he used to do, get with three beers, the same thing. They have to they, they just force it in. They want more to feel satisfied, to feel and – it, and it's also filled with, with fructose, with, you know, high, you know, high fructose corn syrup and things like that. And that's a whole other – problem because it doesn't satiate it it makes you more hungry it you know it drives fatty liver and it drives all sorts of different metabolic problems in the body uh there's two big times in in a, in a human's life when they're developing as far as brain structure goes that are very important very crucial one is up to three years old and the other one is mid to late uh, teenagers is when the brain really explodes with neurons just grows. That's why kids, you know, have this big bobblehead when they're walking around. They got a huge brain in there. It overproduces, makes all these different connections, and then at, and through life, it starts to prune it like those Japanese trees that that, 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 they, that they make different shapes out of. So there's this prunings going on, and so, and so then in the second phase, when they're teenagers, it is not necessarily pruning, but that's when the myelin sheath, that's when the insulation get, get goes over all those wires in our brain and our body and our nervous system, making it go a hundred times faster. So, and, but it happens in different regions of the brain at different times. That's why teenagers can seem to, to not be thinking when they, when they do some actions because really it hasn't caught up there yet. And it will, but it's, it's this whole process. So one is about the overproduction of neurons, trimming it down. And the other one is the, the solidifying of all those wires in their brain when they're a teenager. And both of those are highly influenced by your environment at the time. And part of that environment is your diet. Part of it is your thinking. Part of it is your physical activity. Part of it is the chemical exposure. And basically, you want to you nurture that time as best you can so that you give them the best opportunity to, to grow and have a normal expression of that nervous system. And that's also when tastes start to develop. That's also when the different regions of the brain start to wire uh, in the teenage years that, that are affected with any kind of addiction. It could be electronic addiction. It could be gambling addiction. It could be substance abuse. It could be telephone, you know, whatever it is. And so you really, you want to be hyper aware of that because you don't want that to lock in in a negative state, you know, mm-hmm. just don't want that to happen because if you can avoid it. And especially we were talking earlier about sports, there's a big, all sorts of focus on concussion and it's really important. I think it's, that's, that's a great focus, but there's a lot going on at a lower level. 
sub-concussion head traumas causing different types of, of changes in the brain. Uh, it doesn't have to be a full concussion. They don't have to be knocked out. And what we see is the body becomes susceptible to that damage. Basically, the environment that kid is in, the health or fitness that kid has when they get that concussion or they get that impact determines how bad it is on the other side of the, of, of, the, of, of the equation, how bad it affects them. Because you have two kids, identical kids, identical head trauma, one get really uh, hurt and one not have much of an issue. And what we see is that blood-brain barrier, that protecting mechanism within our brain is what drives the, ability, what drives the, the strength in that sense to withstand any kind of impact. And what affects that blood-brain barrier negatively are all these chemicals that we're seeing. A lot of it is, is, is glutamate, is a big excitatory uh, amino acid that's in all these fake foods and dyes and things like that. And the other one is blood sugar. When blood sugar drops, it's kind of like the defenses go down. And so that when, when you have a kid who's eating, like you said, the sugar, sugar for breakfast, sugar for snack, pounding the sports drink right before they go out on the field, that's going to cause a spike and then a drop in that blood sugar. And when that happens, the defenses go down. And if the kid's in that state, they have this going on, and they have that impact, it, you have a worse outcome. Mm -hmm. that makes sense. And you're talking about arming your kids for, for stress resiliency of their nervous system. I mean, if parents, you know, I mean, this is awesome. And if you knew as a parent how important it was to do these things right early on, because like you're saying, this isn't just playing out into adulthood, which we'll talk about a little bit, but this is just like trauma in life and how their body can handle that trauma as a whole. You know, I was an athlete. I think I had seven concussions all the way through when I played college ball. And I'll be honest with you, man, like my diet probably wasn't where it needed to be from all that damage to my brain, from, you know, like you're talking right now because of what, what I was eating. Yeah, it just makes it more susceptible. So when you see the, the teams get together, they have the sports drink before and during a game. And then, you know, the kids at halftime, they get the, the fruit or the, the, some kind of sugar-based thing. And afterwards, they have more of that. It's just, it's just setting them up for a potential inflammatory reaction to what could be a minor impact that happens in normal sports. You do that over time, over time, over time, it, it builds up. It builds up. And when we're talking about that solidifying that of, that, of the brain with that connection, that, that's what sets up our patterns, not only physically, but psychologically for the rest of our life. That's also why we really try to talk to parents about not using medications with their kids because as, especially as a teenager, as they're going, if they're on a daily medication for, for the number of different kinds, that's going to change how the brain's working as it solidifies and, and it'll change their personality, especially if it's a, um, an antidepressant, for example, or anti-anxiety or a different issue or a, a focusing type of medication. Those really affect the brain and they can change the outcome of that child as they become an adult as far as their, their brain chemistry and their brain, brain structure more than anything. Can I, can I jump in here? Um, Don, I can listen to you all day on this stuff. It's, it's amazing to see how your, how your mind works. And one of the things that I can't help but think too is, is what we're talking about here with the brain. We're getting focused in on that, which is so beautiful and so important. And I'm thinking for parents to understand this, it starts in the gut because it's, it's the leaky gut. It's the gut permeability and inflammation that's perpetuating these, this environmental states. Can you, can you jump in and talk about that relationship between the gut and the brain and, and maybe what some symptoms would be like that parents could see their, their kids dealing with? Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're, tremendously connected there's more neurons in the gut than there is in the spinal cord you know so it's significant it's like a whole nother gray matter 
brain down there going on. And, and they're very in, interconnected. They've had studies where they had took people with depressive symptoms. They had depression and all they did is work to balance the gut. Depression started to, to go away. You know, other people who had gut issues, who had irritable bowel and things like that, where they had problems with their digestion, all they did is focus on supporting the brain and the gut got better. They're, they're tightly connected. They play off each other and there's a feedback loop. That's our gut is one of the biggest inputs into our, into our brain telling us where we live, what we're doing, what time of year it is, what's the, what's the environment like, everything from the different bacterias that are in those foods that gets interpreted to the, the types of food. That's why I think um, there's so much problem with the gut is because we're eating so much fake food, the body doesn't know what the heck that is. It's not real or it's not a proportion that's natural and it just kind of goes, you know, what, what the heck and doesn't, doesn't process it well. And so you'll see that, but yeah, you need to support both. They're, they're, they're highly connected. And if you just, if you just slam one of them and forget the other one, you know, it, you might get some symptoms to change, but it's not going to, you're not going to function differently. That feedback loop is not going to improve like it needs to. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, beautiful, it's a beautiful understanding because, you know, when, when parents think of concussion prevention and whatnot, we're, we're thinking of like equipment and that kind of thing, or maybe they shouldn't just play sports. Um, but really, like what we're talking about is preventative in the level of food and detoxifying your kids through, you know, eliminating different things and healing and uh, healing the gut. This is something we as parents all have control over. And uh, this is this is powerful information. And if we applied some of these things in our, into our kids and, and some tools, um, there would be much different outcomes for like the trajectory of like recurrent or, or repeated concussion. So what are some things that you've done with your own kids through sporting? Like how maybe like a supplement protocol or a nutritional protocol? What are some things you've done to help your kids and or clients that are in this experience? One of them is to, to not base food around sports or play. You know, you don't have to have a pre-workout concept. Don't have to have a sports drink during. I coach my kids little league teams and and we only water in the dugout. You can't no no gum, no junk, you know, you can have wa you can only have water, right? No no sports drinks for that reason. And now what parents do before and after, that's that's up to them, but we would keep that very very stable. And then um, you know, make sure they ate well earlier in the day and and so on cut out a lot of the snacking because you don't want those that up and down blood sugar when they get in there. Cause also when they're young, they get moody too. halfway through the game then you know, they'll start to get cranky and that's, and everyone oh, will give them some to eat. No, you don't, you don't want that either. You know, it, it's, it's, it's tough. And then you want to make sure they know how to play the sport, just learning how to play the sport well and preparing that well causes a big shift in the ratio of injuries in the, on our favor, just really focusing on fundamentals, how to run, how to jump, how to move, and then what I, I get kids lifting weights as early as seven years old, even earlier, but they're not really weights. They're, they're more like medicine balls and slam balls and calisthenics. But uh, my, my daughter and son both have nat New York and national uh, powerlifting records at age. My son was nine and 10 and my daughter was 10 and 11 when she did them. Yeah. And, you know, it sounds great, but they were the only kid in the competition. Right? <laughs> All, whatever was 80 adults, men. And they were the only kids. And my daughter was the only female, you know, and, and they had a lot of fun. And so they have that under their belt now. It was just, they just did deadlift. They didn't do squats. They didn't do bench press. It was just deadlift, picking things up and putting them down. And we had a class and we had a pro uh, uh, powerlifter train us. And so we, we worked our way up to that. But I think that move in particular, the deadlift for sports is absolutely fundamental. You know, just picking something up and putting it down. Even with the smaller kids, like I said, we have a 15-pound slam ball. We get them throwing it backwards from 
under between their legs and throwing it backwards and just just mimicking these natural movements but really working the back of our body from the from our neck shoulders all the way down through our our glutes into our hamstrings working the posterior chain that seemed that makes a fun huge difference fundamental difference we had a when we had our integrative wellness practice we had a gym in there and we taught these powerlifting classes for kids and we had a great little mock study because we had a pair of twins that were on my daughter's soccer team. And if you watch soccer at that age, you know, 10, 11, I don't know why, but they spend half the – every time the ball comes near them, they kick it, they fall down. They're, half the time they're on the ground and getting up off the ground, right? And so, uh, you know, one this the father of the twins said to me, he said, your daughter doesn't fall down that much. My kids are always falling down. What, what's the deal? And we told him about the powerlifting – so he wanted to enroll his daughters. One daughter could do it. One daughter had a conflict. And then within like six weeks, you could watch him play. One daughter kept falling down. One daughter didn't. Just the, the, the core stability, to be able to stay on your feet, to be, to be fundamentally, functionally a little bit stronger made all the difference. Now you've got, you got kids at that age not falling. You have less trauma. You have less head trauma. You have less, so, you know, that's a fun, what I'm talking about, a fundamental functional concept for any sport is getting that core stability that foundation of of the backside of our body or our posterior chain i love that don so since we're talking about movement and muscle and things like that can you just speak a little bit to the the role that muscle plays with kids and the importance of movement with their hormones and like the things we're talking about as far as you know our metabolic flexibility and things like that Absolutely. Uh, muscle, see, when people think about kids and like weightlifting or something like that, there's some old thoughts that come up. They're, they're going to get hurt. They're just going to stunt their growth. My son, who had the national records at 9 and 10, he's 6'5 now. I don't think it's stunted him. He's taller than me. He drives me crazy. I don't think it's stunted him very much. Um, and, and so on. And so a lot of old concepts. But uh, what you want to do is think of functional movement Think of functional ability. Because like when we're teaching the deadlift, their numbers went up and up and up every week, but they didn't get bigger. They don't have, the, the kids didn't have testosterone. They didn't have the hormones yet to, to bulk up, so to speak. What happens is they, their, their body learned to work better together, learned to recruit muscles together. It got more synergistic. And that was what makes for a more functionally fit kid. So it's not about bulking up or putting on muscle or getting bigger, stronger, faster. It's about learning how to use your body, learning how to use the complex joints like our hips and our knees and our shoulder girdles in the right way so we can, we can do things safely. We can, do, we, we can go up in strength and we can go up in stability. And therefore, you have a lot of less of those injuries that go on. Or if they have them, they recover or it's not, it's not a big deal as, as a kid that doesn't. I see it in, in, in baseball all the time. Kid, when they start the team off, you line them up, and then you roll them a ball for a ground ball. Some kids can't get down to get a ground ball off the ground. They can't stick their butt back. Their butt tucks under like they're sitting in a chair, right? Their, their back of muscles of the back are weak, and so they, they go from upright posture to like this. So when they try to lower down, they can't get down, and, and their heels come up off the ground. I mean, that's a problem. And so we work a lot with – posterior chain they don't know we're doing this we're trying to get them back in there so they can when they go down to get a ball they can bend their knees stick their butt out keep their back flat flat and, and, and pick up a pick up a rolling baseball that was really obvious to me I and mean, it was like seven out of 11 kids were having some mechanical problems with that and it comes from sitting down all day all day at school they come home you know they watch tv or they play video games or they get on the computer and they're just sitting on the couch or they're just sitting 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 and that whole 
backside gets weak and they, and they start to roll forward that we need to really work to, to break that out. Mm-hmm. And Nick, you wanted to talk, let's, let's, let's dial back a little bit. Talk. I mean, we talked about the master system. We're talking about the gut brain connection. We're talking about the importance of kids eating the right foods, but Don, where would you tell parents to start as far as uh, what would be a process you could get a parent started right now? If their kid was upside down, where can they start as far as, Hey, this is the frequency, you know, like you're saying, eat real food, things like that. Yeah, some of the things you've asked about, some of the things to look for, you, you want, you know, just because kids uh, are, ha- just because kids, you don't see the symptomatology in kids doesn't mean stuff isn't going on. So we got we to kind of look a little more deeply, a little more, uh, uh, a little more creatively at how kids are going and never assume that your kid is fine and they're healthy just because don't mistake youth for, for health. Right. And so we want to be proactive. Don't just wait till there's a problem. And so some of the things that people can do right away is, is get your kids, make sure your kids are moving, you know, get them doing anything. And you can, like my 10 year old, we play, I have a group, my gyms in my garage. We play with the medicine ball. We do different things. He does some pull-ups. It's not a long time, but it's, we'll, we'll get out there and we'll do that together. And we'll, we'll play around, uh, go play some sports, throw, throw the football around. That's a good thing. Another thing is start your kid's day off strong. Don't start with dessert, which is what most people do. Pancakes, cereal, juice, milk, all of that is just sugar. Sugar, sugar, sugar. A kid's better off not eating that for breakfast than eating that. So people say, well, they got to eat something. No, not if that's the option. They, you know, don't, don't freak out if a kid skips a meal or a snack. You know? And that's another way people uh, actually have worked to get their kids to eat better is they don't give them the other stuff. They don't have another option for, than some, for something healthy. And at first, the kids, they rebel. They won't eat. Well, my kid won't eat. I said, eventually they will. Eventually, when they get hungry enough, they'll start to eat it. And if you keep at it, they'll start to like it and so on. And so one thing you can do is shift your, your household's eating. So don't have a diet for you and a separate one for your kid. That never works, right? Everyone get on the same page with that. Start them off strong. You can get them eating some, even if it's, you know, some fruit for breakfast, if they're a light eater, or if they're not, we make smoothies for breakfast. I put three raw eggs in the, in a, in the zipper and I put uh, some coconut cream. I put a handful of berries and uh, that's you know maybe sometimes peanut butter or something like that, and we just zip it up, and that's quick and easy. We can do that. Have some bacon and eggs, good old-fashioned bacon and eggs. Or if they're just a, won't eat or they're fussy and they're fighting you, skip it. Make sure they have a good lunch. It's okay. Some kids just don't. My my son, my ten-year-old, just does not do breakfast well at all. Just doesn't like and not hungry, and so we don't we don't force it. So don't wait till your kid has a symptom, right? First of all. Shift the entire household and start their day strong and make sure they're moving. Move extra. Don't just assume that at school they're moving. Do something extra, whatever that is. Yeah, that's powerful information. I mean, I noticed that with my kids too. You know, as a parent, there's times where you just get into this reality of like, oh, I can make them some homemade oatmeal and or whatever that is and their behavior is different it just is like i know that from my youngest too and and he was he's always been a natural faster in the morning he, he does not need to eat but we you know even as as parents knowing what we know sometimes because we're feeding the other one well you might as well have a little bit too but it we have to back off we've noticed that it, it massively affects his behavior so it's you know here's the thing like what you're teaching is something that everybody needs to apply it's something that, that we all got, get caught up in this, 
system of thinking, you know, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. You, you can't, you're going to starve your kids. They need to grow. Um, your, your son grew to six, five, <laughs> and sometimes you fasted them. I mean, this is just, this is a, a real shock for people. And I can't help but think going, going back to what you said earlier, even with, with, with weightlift, uh, weightlifting for kids. I mean, we, I remember hearing that from my parents, you, you can't lift weights when you're too young, you're going to stunt your growth. Uh, we, we think all these old patterns that are so stuck in, in our thinking, um, it's affecting everybody. So to, to go through this change, I mean, what you're speaking to here is so important that everybody eats the same. We do all, you know, do these things together. We cut out the snacks. Those are some great starting points and just getting kids active again. I love all that. Yeah. I mean, it's just cutting out snacks. Don't buy pre-made snacks. Well, if you have to feed your kid a snack, get, get some fruit or something like that, or, you know, cheese and, uh, cheese and, uh, some cold cuts or something like that, but you don't buy the, the, the prepackaged junk snacks. You're, you're doing more harm than good and just keep track. And especially here, you know, I'm just outside of Seattle when it rains, they like to lock, sit down. They don't want to go out, but I still make him go check on his friends or something, make him take his bike to go do the rounds, uh, in the, in the area that we have a few friends around and, they might not come out. They might, but he has to do that every now and then. Cause it, why? Cause it gets him up and moving. And if they can, if he can go out and play, rather than do that and sit around just because it's kind of gloomy out. And so you have to make that extra effort as far as that, as that goes. And also make sure your kids are sleeping. This is a big problem. Our the United States school system is really to blame for a lot of this, but uh, kids need a lot of sleep. They need a lot of sleep and, and they don't like to go to bed and, and so on, but they need, you know, my 10 year old, I want him to get nine, 10 hours if I can, a night and that doesn't always happen but you, you got to make you have to work at that and not let them sit up on a device on a phone playing a video game uh or whatever or, or watching a movie or you know netflixing out or something like that you want to really prioritize their sleep and that, that's because that that's where their metabolism this is all hormonal all the stuff we're talking about hormonal the weight issues in kids that you know the, the, the obesity, I think, is growing fastest in kids under five right now of our entire population. It used to be, it used to be hard to, to get a seven or eight-year-old to be obese. You know, they, they had to work at that. that would, now you're seeing it all the time. It's hormonal, and it gets passed on, not just from what they're doing, but from what the parents do. You know, gestational diabetes, when the mom gets, uh, gains a lot of weight, is not eating well or wasn't eating well prior, and then they get diabetes while, preg while they're pregnant. Gestational diabetes, the numbers for overweight and obese kids go up crazy like crazy and they're not even born yet it's already starting to set up their epigenetic uh, response in their body it's hormonal people think too you know uh my kid's growing he's got to eat i go well you know it's, it's hormonal your kid's not growing because he's eating otherwise the kid who ate the most would be the tallest right you know it doesn't work that way they're eating more because they're growing they're not growing because they're eating more they're eating more because they're growing and what triggers the growth is the hormones what influences hormones at this age? Food, movement, chemicals. So we want to make sure that's in, that's, in, that's in balance because those hormones get off. That's why you see so many girls going into puberty earlier. You know, the, the, one of the endocrine societies is talking about shifting the normal age of, of menses down to nine years old, which I think is ridiculous, a total cop-out, right? They're, they're, getting, they're going through puberty earlier. Boys are going later. And you just see these different changes in the way they develop and the way they look. It used to be very hard for a boy to get heavy in the chest. You know what I mean? Uh, my, 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 my mom would call it chesty, get chesty. 
right? It used to be, you had to be, get pretty heavy. You had to put on a lot of weight. Now you, you see it with normal weight kids. They start to get, it almost looks like peaks. It's a, it's a very distinct look because that's glandular. That's hormonal. That's not just weight. You know, any man can carry weight in the chest if they, based on their body fat genetics. But you, you can see this pattern in, in kids, pu- even prepubescent kids going on. And that's, that's from their environment. That's, that's the hormonal shift that's going on from the, their chemical exposure. Maybe it's the stress, maybe not sleeping. Maybe it's the diet. Maybe there's a medication involved. All these different things are making a perfect storm to just throw everyone off dramatically. And I think that's a big part of why you see kids gaining weight so easily when it used to be hard. And then if once they go through puberty in, 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 a, in their teenage years, it's almost like it gets locked in. It's really hard. You can get, we work a lot with weight loss. I know you do too. Uh, you get someone who's back to somewhere they've been physically is, is easy. Getting someone physique wise to go where they've never been before is really hard because something like locks them in, right? To get a someone who was an athlete in high school or college who's now 60 pounds overweight back to a reasonable level where they've been before easy, but get someone who's always been overweight and, and never been to somewhere they haven't been, or they're, they're a 35 year old computer worker and they've never had a physical life trying to get them to somewhere that's really hard. And so we want to make sure we set the stage as well as we can, just like the pruning of, of the brain. We want the hormonal environment to be, to be flexible, to be sensitive to work really well so that as it kind of locks in, they have that for the rest of their life to, to build on and not fight against. Mm-hmm. Man, you know, I, again, just the simplification, man, but this is information that most people don't know, Don. Like this is something that I think a lot of parents, like you said it earlier, you said being young doesn't mean healthy. You know, a lot of people think, oh, they're young, their bodies can take it. Their bodies can handle it. And that's literally the excuse I hear from all the parents why they feed their kids crap all the time and why they don't really put the effort and make those harder decisions, right? Like Nick, you said the other day, you said, it's harder to be that kind of parent and tell your kids no when they're watching all their friends eating the crap around them and the artificial food. It's harder to do that. It is. is. It's hard and they they don't like it and you don't like it. And um, sometimes we give in. You know, just because I don't feel like having that discussion with another parent today, you know, because I'm cranky or whatever it is, it is a challenge. But focus first on the household, on the family unit. Build that strong. Everyone do it together and explain to your kids why you're doing it. Just like anything, if I tell my 10-year-old to do something, uh, he'll do it, but he'll resent it usually. But if I explain what and why we're doing this, then he'll, it's like a choice. Then he's into it and then there's no resentment built up in there. So don't just tell the kid what to eat. Explain why we're doing this. Because guaranteed, if your kid's got some digestive issues or weight issues, it's a trickle down thing. Something's going on with those parents and the other kids. It's happening. You can't, it's not just them, even though a lot of parents want to think that right it's not just them it's it's the whole household that's sick and this is just a symptom going on and if the parents are overtly sick type 2 diabetes metabolic syndrome thyroid all this kind of lifestyle based stuff you know it's affecting the kid whether you can see it or not and that's one of those tough realities people don't want to look at you know you can really judge it someone's commitment to health by the physical shape and weight of their kid you know and that's that that's telling that's mm-hmm. telling, especially you see all these news, these pictures coming with kids going to school. You know, you, you can be like, man, it's, there's, it's tough out there. There's sick kids. Look at all the, the food sensitivities that are going on. 
You know, they have whole tables for peanuts, tables for no, no, you know, no milk products. You know, they have all these different, they never had that when I was growing up. You never, never even heard of that. Only thing I ever heard of is uh, some kids got anaphylactic due to bee stings. But now you see there's a whole list of things that people have to avoid and kids have to go through. My kid can't bring certain foods to school at all. Never mind, give it to another kid. He, it cannot enter the premises. That's how dangerous and sensitive the, the, this environment has become. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's making parenting a whole lot more challenging because we do have to take more of an active role and it's up to us. And, you know, we talked about even just mental conditioning, like preparing a, a parent for the understanding that it's a whole household change. It's not just your kid that needs to change, it's the entire household. And uh, these are definitely challenging conversations. I'm, I'm just, as you're speaking, I'm thinking of patient after patient who's, who's brought in a kid in and having these same discussions and thinking like, I can't wait to send them this podcast because this is so, so important. And so I also wanted to just dive into just another common thing that happens for kids at this time of year and let's be real, like most times or many times throughout the year, but definitely entering into the winter season is the, the entire immune system. And just how, how important is this just to keep your kids healthy? And can you actually get them into a place where they're preventing colds and flus and things like that based on all their friends getting sick? Yeah, well, just, there's a lot going on this time of year. All, suddenly, all kids are back together. They, they haven't had this much, much contact with other kids in a long time. So you're starting to see a big mix and interbreeding of all sorts of different bugs, which is not a bad thing. But then they start to, uh, they start to express them. They start to get sick and so forth. And some kids will get very sick. Some kids won't get sick, you know. And, and you look at them and you go, what's the fundamental difference? Is it genetic? Is it this? Not? I think it's pr- preparation. It's all the stuff that we're talking about it makes the kids stronger and they don't get all these different things. There's also a lot of shedding that goes on from the vaccines. This is a time where the kids have to update their vaccines to get into school. If that's, you know, we, we go through that all the time and we don't vaccinate our kids as our choice, but, you know, other kids do. And then they shed. And then there's more, that, means there's, that means whatever they got vaccinated with starts to express through their body. They might not even see, have a symptom, but they might be expressing it out. So now you got more bacteria, you got, you got um, more viruses out there that can cause, uh, that can affect the immune system as well. My son got whooping cough from his cousin who got a vaccine and, and, and I'm, I'm convinced it was shedding because there was no other link to anything than, than that. Um, and so, you know, it can definitely happen and we've seen it first kit firsthand. And then parents also need to, to have confidence in this body of ours too quick. Parents are too quick to jump. As soon as their kid has a sniffle, give them a Tylenol, give them an antibiotic, take them somewhere to get something right. Just let things go, let things roll through. And that's one of the things as a natural practitioner and dad, I think we all go through is, is that balance between letting the kid express itself and when do I do something more, right? If it's a challenge for us, you know it's a challenge for everyone out there. And so the, the, the other advice is don't start pumping full of medication. Let the bodies express support and go, get back to drinking water all the time. Drink a lot of water. Get, get some, some, some cleansing foods in there. Make sure they're sleeping. Make sure they're sleeping. Uh, that's a big part of coming back to school. A lot of kids didn't have a very strict bedtime went during the summer. And so they're all off and they get back. Now they have to get up early, way too early in my opinion. And that will affect the immune system as well and so you know there's a, there's a whole combination of things going on and so the more proactive you can be the better you can support your child you know, get you do those basic fundamentals we're talking about make their lunches especially in the first couple months so you know you know they're getting good stuff load up on the water uh take any kind of supplemental support that that you and your provider 
uh, feel is is appropriate. And then if they do start to get little, little, little stuff, let them express it. Let it let it play out. You know, be smart about it. Get, you can consult someone, but don't rush to especially throw them on antibiotics because antibiotics destroys all bacteria. And our gut is full. There's pounds and pounds of good bacteria in there, and they get they get friendly fire, and they get just they get terrorized in there. And the worst bacteria is not out here going to get us. The worst bacteria to affect our health that could kill us is a good bacteria that gets really mad and turns on us, right? It's already in us. And the way we do that, you know, sugar feeds them, you strip them with the antibiotics, then you slant, then you give them Tylenol or something like that for fever or to, to support it. That lowers your ability to, to get rid of toxins because it slams the liver. And now you just got, now you're just making it, making the environment much more susceptible for more problems or have that problem longer than it really needs to be. So what you're saying is, is that the body can heal itself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we just get out of the way. We don't need medication. What's, what's going on here? I mean, we're all, we're all laughing at that, but I was just about to say, I think the general population is so brainwashed right now with how it's supposed to be done that they've forgotten just general basics of their human physiology of like, you have an immune system. Like you are armed with something already that helps you fight these things, right? And it's almost like people don't believe in that anymore. They think the answer is outside themselves. Yeah. Always. Well, I mean, just this is a perfect topic. The immune system is fueled by white blood cells throughout our body, right? White, white blood cells are the soldiers that attack anything that could cause harm, could cause illness or sickness of, of a lot of different kinds. And when you take that sugar, when you eat that bowl of cereal, milk, and juice, you just slam the, your soldiers down by 60% or more sometimes. So you, every time you do that, when you have the crackers and, and uh, different snacks, you know, you have the, the chewies or, you know, they have the gummy roll-ups they have all the, all these different things i see at the kids school and then for lunch they have pizza and a chocolate milk like you said and, and you keep that going they could be living their entire day and night at a 40 percent immune level i mean that and then you wonder why you know they're all getting sick and passing things around they're just they're you're not giving them a chance to fight it off and then if they do get sick we slam them with antibiotics and 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 medication which wipes again wipes out the, the gut that's more that's where the immune system is is being fueled so you just you're just creating a, a weak system and it's just just start with like we said the fundamentals eat clean don't snack so much sleep well get them moving uh, talk about all this have a plan with your kids and, and and so forth well another thing I would say in addition to is get your kids in the kitchen and start cooking with them teach them about food I mean, if your kid does not grow up learning how to cook, watching you cook in the kitchen, having that experience, how do you expect him to be able as an adult to take care of himself? And uh, I mean, because if you ask me, you can't be healthy without learning how to cook for yourself, especially if you're a child trying to grow up, right? I mean, you, you, there's so many adults now, Don, that they can't cook. They never learned. You know, my daughter's uh, in her first year at Life University and, and uh, in college, and she's in the dorms and this, and, and she says the same thing. People have no clue, A, how to eat, because you can see what they eat at the, the food bar or whatever that is. And then, two, they're, they're not doing anything for themselves, because they, they really don't know how. They get confused with a cup of noodle, right? And it's, I'm not, not that they're stupid, they just haven't been exposed to it. What we like to do from the early on is get the kids involved, but the way we did it is, you know, let's pop up here. Get rid of this. 
uh, the way we did it is we started watching uh, cooking shows. Mm -hmm. And then they started coming out with kids' versions of the shows, like Master Chef Junior. And that's what really got them fired up. And then they, you know, two older kids would, would have like a, a cooking competition. They'd make who, who could make the best, uh, you know, appetizer or something. And, and the younger son and, and me and my wife, we'd be the judges. And da 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 da. It was just, you just start to do that and just start to make them more aware of that. My mom gave my 10 year old, um, I forget the name, but it's like a, it's a kid's chef in a box. Every month something comes, it's got a recipe, it's got some kids friendly utensils and it, you know they shop for it they they, they make it and and, and so, so on and so it just makes it more fun gets them involved but they're not going to be involved if the parents aren't involved if the, there's parents out there who don't cook not even for themselves and again it doesn't have you start with a couple nights a week it doesn't have to be a full turn on your head type thing but start to get into it. You, can, you can take classes there's online classes there's the the tv shows there's so many options now there's really no excuse not to cook anymore Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so important. I mean, I, again, it's it's a really sad reality when when you talk to patients who are 60, 70 years old, and they they actually just are afraid to cook. They've just never done it before. To think that people go their entire life without actually learning the skill, and us as parents actually have a duty to incorporate our kids in. And I get it. You know, as a parent, sometimes I'm like, get the F out of the kitchen because I got to get this done so I can get you in bed on time. And there's so many, you know, guidelines and, and structure within a family home. And it's not that it's, it's none of this is about being easy, but we are really either setting our kids up for success as they grow or we're not. And we ha it's our responsibility to do it. We have to get them involved. Now, you, now you brought up something that, we, we don't talk about often on this podcast, but I think you, you hit a point and people may be confused when they, when they heard that. And that was about viral shedding after a vaccine. Um, we don't need to get into a big dialogue, whether or not they're good or bad. You're just stating something that most people don't realize when they go in and get a vaccine that many, any of the live vaccines, there will be some viral shedding. Uh, your, your kids will be more susceptible you know, if they, even if they've had a previous vaccine, but I think it's an important point just because it is this time of year. Um, so can you, can you get into that a little bit more? Because I, I think it's, it, it is an important topic. And like I said, we don't have to talk about whether it's good or bad, but I think it's a good, good topic to discuss. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a part of life and, and whether you're into it or not, that's an individual, I support individuals choices as far as that goes. So, um, but you, you're right. When, when that, you get the vaccine, you get a little bit of, of whatever uh, illness that you're trying to build immunity to. Part of that building immunity is creating antibodies and having an immune response within that person. And then just like someone who's got a cold can pass a cold, that, that, that's what's going on on a lower level. That, that can pass. You can't see it, even if you're not symptomatic. So not, there's an immune response, which is the whole point of getting the vaccine. The idea, the thought behind it is build, you have that immune response and then it'll, it'll stick around a while so that next time you're exposed, you'll be, better, you'll be better off for it. That's the thinking. But in that immune response means it's not staying in your body. That's why some vaccines, if you read the labels, people are supposed to be quarantined you mm -hmm. know, after because this talks about shedding right there. So this is not like a, a made-up idea. It's, it's just like you wouldn't want to be around someone who has a flu. You don't want to be around someone shedding. If you, it's, but it's really hard to know. So, but, yeah. but be aware of it. And, and then that, that's the immune response. Then there's a neurological response from, from vaccines. That's a whole other topic uh, uh, we can discuss another time. Because I have a, a, a niece 
who has got a seizure disorder. She's got Angelman syndrome. And so that's a brain-based uh, disorder. So you, you want to be hypersensitive about all of this stuff because mm-hmm. she's definitely more susceptible to, to, to injury that way. And so, you know, it can happen to anyone. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad you, I just wanted you to highlight some of those pieces a little bit more just because I think it, it can be a trigger for people and then and they can hear that, oh, vaccines are bad. This, this is really just about understanding that this is reality. It's no different than getting a cold or flu. Of course, you're shedding virus by any exposure. I mean, we could be carriers of a virus. You know, we see that with herpes uh, virus where you can be a carrier, you may not be expressing. There's so much going on behind the scenes that we just have no idea about, but there are some things with known exposures. You, you potentially, even if you're around someone who's sick, you may not get the symptoms, but you might be carrying something you pass that on to someone else. It's just basic transmission. It's, it's, it's really important to understand this. And so- and it's there all the time. Just like we have a biome, we yeah. have a virome, right? We buy the, the human microbiome is the bacteria balances on our skin, mouth, and gut all over the place. And we talk about that, but there's also an even larger uh, amount of viruses that interact normally that, that don't necessarily cause a problem is the virome and how that plays out and, and how it can be influenced and when, how it can get triggered when the immune system is, is slammed or is, is struggling. So. There's, there's a lot, it is complicated and we just know just a little bit, but mm-hmm. you know, anything that flares it up can be problematic and just want to be, just want to be aware of it. It's better to know than not know. Yeah. Oh, so buddy, awesome stuff. So we leave our listeners with home play and I think you gave some last time, but you know, on this one, I'd really like you to speak to a couple of things. So let's say there's some parents, their kids are struggling, whether it's with immune health, their mood or ability, focus in school. Uh, development, any of these things, uh, what would be some home play you could start these parents with right off, just right off the bat? I mean, we did cover the basics and you're talking about the essentials, but where's a good place to start for them? It is a big thing. And when you put that all together, um, I think the, the statistic out of a few, few years ago is one in six kids are develop, developmentally challenged or disabled on some level. And that's, that's all of that stuff together. And so, um, you know, the more, the more, proactive uh that they, they can be the better well and I, would, and I would even you know i would say as a parent you kind of probably need to look in the mirror and really evaluate what you're doing like you're saying because it starts with the parents like what are you doing that's affecting what's the ripple effect and it's having on your children if you're not seeing your children where you want them to be yeah and we we our standards are dropping as well sleep is a good example People always, not always, a lot of people write when, I, when we do intakes that they sleep pretty well. And often they won't realize they're sleeping so poorly until they sleep better. So a lot of people think, oh, I'm okay or my kid's okay because it's not overt right now. And they don't realize how bad it is until they get better. Like suddenly, oh, I didn't have energy. I couldn't move very well. I was inflexible. I did get stomach issue, you know, whatever it is, um, they don't always notice it until they, they make the shift and, and start getting better, the contrast there. So don't assume anything. It's like, if, you know, if you're not actively improving your health, you will passively lose it, period. It's the environment. It's the culture. It's whatever you want to call it. You, ha- you, you don't want to get diabetes. Like one in three kids born after 2000 is expected to get type 2 diabetes. One in two adults right now, over one in two adults, uh, have diabetes, type 2 diabetes or pre-diabetes. If you add metabolic syndrome in there, it probably goes up another 30%, which is a big 
big deal, all hormonal, all insulin issues. So if you don't want to develop these conditions, you have to live right now as if you have them. That's the way around it. You have to take care as if you did have them to not get them later because they, they, it's almost becoming the go-to, uh, the go-to condition. It's, it, call it insulin hormonal imbalance or whatever or just metabolic syndrome or whatever you want to call it. Uh, you have to live an insulin-friendly lifestyle to not go down that path. And that's what leads to you know, waking insulin issue. That's what leads to uh, a heart disease is, is an insulinogenic issue. That's what leads to dementia. They call it type 3 diabetes, Alzheimer's, type 3 diabetes. And so much is involved in that. And insulin is, is the biggest hormonal disruptor we have. And we can activate it at any moment, at any time. And you asked why earlier why I think there's so much weight issues and obesity is because of how the insulin response is being affected and being passed down from generation to generation where you're becoming more insulin resistant and kids are being born insulin resistant means it's not working the way it could be. And all, and all the fake food we eat, ins- we used to think and it's still taught today that insulin is triggered when you eat something and, blood, and the food goes into your body, makes blood sugar, it goes through your, your, your blood and when the pancreas senses that blood sugar, it releases the insulin appropriate to absorb that blood sugar and lower it. Okay, That's the old model. It's not true. 70 plus percent of insulin's response happens before that, that food is even broken down and out of our gut or in our, never mind in our blood. What's going on is your stomach and your upper intestine is interpreting these foods as they come in and telling the pancreas to, to put the insulin out based on that interpretation. So when it gets things it doesn't know, it's kind of like a red flag. It'll start pumping insulin or it'll crank, it'll crank out um, uh, stomach acid or pancreatic enzymes, and we can—that's a whole other thing. It starts to just kind of throw things at it. That's why anything flour-based raises insulin, even almond flour or coconut flour, not just not just like grain flour or wheat, right? It raises insulin. That's why 20 grams of whey protein in a powder you put in your gym sh- shake will spike insulin like crazy, whereas 20 grams of chicken, beef, fish, or whatever won't. It's because it's called the incretin response. It's, it's starting to happen. The body's do, doing this interpreting thing. So the more stuff that you eat is artificial. It, remember, what we eat tells our body where we are on the planet, what time of year it is. It, at least traditionally, that's what it did. So now it's getting this food. It's like it's, it's, it's denatured. It's, it's soft when it shouldn't be. There's, you don't have to chew it. It's, it you know, or it's liquid or it's sugar liquid. It just goes, you know, this is, something's not right here. So it throws off the defenses inflammation goes up as part of that response, insulin gets pumped out, and then you have other digestive like uh, safeguards that kick in that over time is what breaks down and it makes it easier to gain weight, harder to lose weight, and it, can, and it throws off other hormones as well, like thyroid, like adrenaline and cortisol from the adrenals, and uh, like you know, all, you know, testosterone in men, estrogen, all sorts of stuff. That's amazing, man. And I've never thought of it like that, but it makes complete sense, man. I mean, if people, I mean, for our listeners, just think about that for a second. What he's basically saying is everything that you put in your mouth, your body is basically going to sit there and like you're saying, it, it, it focuses this lens and analyzes first. And that's what gives the response of how our bodies react to it. And even more so why we need to be eating the foods that we're tuned to, right? And just be eating real food and staying away from all this crap that our, our environment's full of right now. You know, and it's kind of like Tommy, Tommy Rosen says, Nick, right? It's like everyone's walking around with 102 fever 
And it's like, hey, man, what's going on? And he's like, oh, I have a 102 fever. Oh, yeah, me too. So then everyone just keeps doing it because it's like, oh, well, he's eating bad and they're eating the crap and they're eating the crap and they're eating the crap. Oh, I just eat the crap too. And that's what it's becoming because it's so, you know, I, I tell people all the time, you have to live outside the box really to get healthy these days. You can't live in the norm and the, and, and, and the everyday go like everybody else. Mm-hmm. It's a challenge. And I don't know about you, but as a healthcare practitioner, as a second generation chiropractor, as someone who lives and teaches this world, I, I have challenges. I have challenges with my family. If I, this doesn't mean our, my family and myself are bulletproof. You know, I've had metabolic syndrome a couple of times. I've, I was diagnosed with the lesions that they told me were cancerous twice before. I, I you know, um, I've had weight issues in, in my life. It's, it's something we all have to deal with. And it's almost like, and, and practitioners are, are no, no different. Uh, you know, well over half of my clients are practitioners of some kind, doctors, chiropractors, nutritionists, someone like that. We almost have to form a club, like Six Doctors Anonymous or something like that. <laughs> we don't like to admit it either, but it's, it's a challenge. We live here too. It's a challenge. And so if you're watching, don't just think, you know, we're t- people, I don't want people to think we're talking down to them. Like you, 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 it's us, us, us. Absolutely. This is reality. And everything that we're talking about, I know it's true for me and I know it's true for you. We've done or would do in these circumstances nothing is do as i say not as i do if we can if we can avoid it so don't feel don't feel alone and don't feel like the odd person out if this is going on because it happens to all of us we're all working on this at least i i I am right guys absolutely oh it's definitely sorry nick but definitely one of those things that you need to care about and needs to be important to you and i think people just don't they don't give it a lot of thought, to be honest. Well, we kind of numbed out, right? Just yeah. like you said, over time, we just numbed out. People, we talk to people like on an intake and say, when was the last time you got a good night's sleep, you woke up refreshed, ready to go, didn't, didn't need coffee to get out of the house and had a good productive day, came home and was happy and da, da, da. And people laugh at me. They're like, what are you talking about? No one. <laughs> what is that? Yeah. They're like you're making it up. You know, they, they, they think it's, they it's, it's, I'm like, no, that's how we're supposed to live, at yeah. least how I want to live, right? And it, it is possible. And we've become, just like you said, the 102 fever, we've become so susceptible, you know, to, to lowering our, our standards that we're all just kind of blah. We're all just kind of blah. And the idea of having a healthy, fit, productive life seems foreign to us, unnatural or not possible, which is even, even worse, that hope drains out and that's why a lot of people don't do anything They're like damned if i do damned if i don't you know it's not one thing it's another nah, nah, nah. you know just it's it's bad and so the first thing is to be aware and that's the shows like this are great be aware and then you know you gotta get your tribe together get your household together find the people you trust to consult with and gotta gotta be proactive gotta be doing something and like i always say be living in creation with your health and not reaction to your environment well, yeah, exactly. Well, unfortunately, that's when people do stuff, right? When, when they all of a sudden get sick. Well, it seemed like he was so healthy yesterday. It wasn't, you know, it just, yeah. you know, and they don't, we don't pay attention. So the other the simple things you can do on your own is just, you know, track your, your weight. Watch your weight. Weigh yourself every day. I know people get crazy about that. Just weigh yourself every day. Same place, same way, same scale. And just, just learn your own biorhythms because you go up and down. That's a good thing to do. Measure your waist at your belly button. That should not be expanding. If it is, if it's over 35 inches with women or 40 in men, you're going toward, that's metabolic syndrome. 
right? You got that's inside. That's not the fat on the outside that we see. It's the fat on the inside. That that stuff is dangerous. You know, the fat I can pinch and I don't like to see in the mirror. That's cosmetic. You know, doesn't maybe puts a little stress on my body because I have extra. But the fat that you can't see, you can't pinch. That stuff will kill you, right? So that's just something you can do. Watch the waist. Weigh yourself on a regular basis. Um, we have people, you know, get, get a blood sugar tester. They're 20 bucks now. It comes with 30 strips and, and you can see online how to use it. Just test your, your blood sugar in the morning. See, learn those trends as well. A lot of people are surprised. Over 50% of American adults are pre-diabetic, meaning they have blood sugar, fasting blood sugar of 100 to 125 or they're type 2, which is over 25. And 90% of them don't know it. That's the reality. They don't know it because we're not screening for that. Uh, you know, pre-diabetes it, to a lot of medical practitioners is still normal, which is not. I, you know, I think anything over 86 is a problem. That's when you start to see other metabolic risk factors go up, like heart disease and stuff like that. So I call 87 to 100 pre-pre-diabetes, right? If you really, really want to get proactive, you can look at that. But it's not something you can do uh, on a regular basis. And that's kind of a reality check as well. Don't just go by how you feel. Do some basic testing here. Do some basic testing. I know in your offices, you guys use the MetaOxy test, right? That's a great one too. Simple, easy, cheap that you can do at a, a practitioner's um, thing. Uh, to take your blood pressure. Take your own blood pressure. All these things you can get, like a, you can get a smart blood sugar tester, a smart thermometer, a smart uh, blood pressure cuff, cheap now, all synced to one app on your phone, and you can, you can watch this stuff. And just be aware, if your blood pressure is going crazy, there's an insulin issue going on and so on. And just, just learn how to uh, mo- self-monitor, be self-reliant. Don't wait for some overt test down the, w- down the line to go wrong to, to, to getting gear. Absolutely. Plus, you'll feel better. You'll look better. You'll sleep better. You'll have better relations with your spouse. You'll have better communication with your kids. As you get healthy, all these type of things start to shift. And it's powerful and it's fun and it feels good. You can feel good again. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean, what you're speaking to is, is what everybody needs to do. And when you talk about their pre, pre-diabetes, that's, that's, that's pretty much everybody. I mean, everybody's blood sugar that looks at, that I look at before we start any sort of program. They're pre-diabetic for sure, or they're, they're just about there. And, and you said something that was so important. It's like, it's the stuff you can't see. So if we stop judging ourselves by how healthy are by looking on the outside and start actually just doing some of those simple, simple measurements, we can be so much more proactive. Now there's a quote that you say that I love. You say something about you either pay, pay your grocer today. I'll let you finish it, but you pay, either pay, your pay your grocer today or you pay your pharmacist tomorrow. Yeah. Simple. It's just, yeah. And, and those, those home tests, it, there's a lot of studies in the populations area in public health that show the more stuff you monitor, you naturally become aware. Just like if you take a, one of the most effective dieting techniques ever tested is journaling. Just mm-hmm. your, your awareness, you're shifting your will, write down what you eat, when you eat, how much you eat, how you feel. No one, you don't, I tell my clients to do that. I said, don't even have to show me. I'm not going to look at it and critique it. You just do it for you. And suddenly you, your life starts to change. You start to do things a little bit different because you're building that awareness versus that's why, you know, an open bag of chips is an empty bag of chips, right? It's just it's mindless, <laughs> eating, right? mindless eating. And, and you know, people don't even realize how much and how often they're eating through there, you know, and then you can also, like you, you mentioned, looking at the blood test, you know, get, go get some tests. 
If you have high tri if you have triglycerides over 100, you know there's an insulin problem. You, if you have low vitamin D, you know there's you have you have insulin resistance. That is a very tight correlative right there, and that's one test. If you, I tell people all the time, if you only did one test or two tests, maybe do fasting, insulin, and vitamin D. That'll tell you a whole lot right there. If you have your HDLs are low, got a problem right there, right? And so, and just 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 to back that up, metabolic syndrome is defined by having three, depending on the source, two to three of these five things. One is high fasting blood sugar. Okay, we talked about pre-pre-pre-diabetes, the whole nine yards, so that's there. High triglycerides, which is a correlate with insulin. High blood pressure, which is the, the arterial reaction is correlate to insulin as well. Having a, a high waistline, uh, the 35 inches for women or 40 for men, anything over that, or and then having a low HDL. Okay, any three of those five, and you have what's called metabolic syndrome. You know, we know that almost everyone's got the blood sugar one. Chances of having three of those out of those five are huge. And so, look at tests that maybe you got done last year. Just look at them, and you, you can see for yourself. Do that little measurement. Be proactive. And tons of nuggets here again, man. You just unload them on us every time. I love it. Nick, do you got anything else, brother? Yeah, well, I, I wanted uh, I wanted everybody to know where they can find Don and follow him. And I mean, this is just this is like a snack. It's like a teased, and this is why we want to obviously keep having you on, Don, because you share so much wisdom. But uh, where where can people find you? And and if someone wants to work with you, how do they access you? Um, and this goes for I mean, like you said, a lot of who you treat or help is is doctors, is, is people like us. So tell us how how we can everyone can find you. Yeah, and, and again, just to, not to make a too fine note, I get help from the doctors in this world too. You know, we're, we're, we all have coaches. We all have people we rely upon, especially when it comes to our kids, you know, right? You know, it's, it's hard to doctor yourself. But the way they find me, just go on Facebook, Don Klum. I have a professional page. I have a personal page. You can follow me on my personal page. You can like the professional page. And then if you have interest in working and doing something more, just message me. That's, I'm on there. I, that's where I post a lot of my information. I have some videos on there. Um, that's where, that's the best way to, to find me. And for all the listeners, I'm a huge fan. This guy's one of my mentors. I literally read his stuff all the time and learn something every single time. Oh, you're the other one, right? Yes. I'm the other one. <laughs> <laughs> I do it too. Okay. All right. So, yeah, I got three going now. You guys make sure you follow this guy's stuff. It, it, it's literally going to just create that awareness. Like Don speaks, you're going to get more of the education. You start to understand how your body works and you start nipping some of these things in the butt. You start to feel better. Like he's saying, so Don, buddy super grateful for coming on with us again i promise you we're gonna have you on a third time for sure man I anytime love i love i love it love being here i love what you guys are doing i love what you represent i love how you present it i think it's i think it's so needed and it's so it's so loving you have a very loving uh, way of putting it out there and, and so you know i wish you all the best with it and anytime i can be of service you can count on me. thank you brother definitely gonna be a regular we really appreciate all your wisdom <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to subscribe to The Dr. Dads and share with your family and friends. You can also follow and interact with Dr. Nick and Dr. David on Facebook and Instagram for a daily dose of inspiration and the latest in health and wellness. Be well.